It is really good to be here together this morning. It's always good to be able to be together with my brothers and sisters, to be together with my fellow disciples of Christ. And it's good to know that because we have Jesus Christ in common, we have everything that's important in life in common. And so it's great for us to be here together this morning. As we get started, let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for this day. We do thank you for allowing us to be together. Father, we thank you for the family that meets here in this place. Father, we thank you for the love that we have for each other. Thank you for the love that we have for you. Thank you for the love that we have for your son. More importantly, Father, we thank you for the love that you have for us and the love that Jesus has for us. And Father, it is because of that love that we have hope. Uh, We have a future to, to look to. And Father, we thank you for that. Father, our desire is to be more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we do want to be true disciples of his. We want to be transformed into his image. My prayer, Father, is that what we do here today will be another step towards us looking more like our Savior, Jesus the Christ. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen. So we're in our third week of our sermon series called Resolved to Follow. This series, as we've mentioned before, flows out of our theme here at Netherwood for 2014. The theme is that all may know we are disciples of Jesus Christ. It's a theme that reflects our collective desire to be true followers of Jesus. True followers of Jesus at all times, in all places, and in all circumstances. And last week we talked about dust. We talked about being covered, being coated in dust. We talked about the fact that Jesus calls his followers to leave behind the filth that comes from walking in step with sin and instead become coated with the dust that comes from following in his steps. We developed the idea that disciples of Christ will come to look like Jesus. They'll be transformed into the image of Jesus. And that transformation will come about as a result of walking in his steps. We develop the idea that walking in Jesus' steps means walking in compassion. It means walking in kindness and humility and gentleness. Walking with patience and practicing forgiveness. And it's a path that disciples walk because Jesus first walked that path. So Jesus' followers are compassionate because Jesus has been compassionate to us. Jesus' followers are kind because of his kindness to us. Jesus' followers are humble because he humbled himself in order to serve us. And Jesus' followers are gentle because he is gentle with us. And we are patient and we bear with others because Jesus has been and continues to be patient with us and continues to bear with us. And we are forgiving because Jesus has forgiven and because he does continue to forgive us. So Jesus' desire is that we will all come to look the same, that we'll all come to look like him. And we'll look the same because we're covered, we're coated in his dust. And as we ended last week, we ended with four questions. Four questions that I ask you to prayerfully consider over the coming week. Four questions to help us evaluate where we are in our walk with Jesus Christ. So as a reminder of the questions for those 
who were here and for the benefit of those of you who weren't here. Let me go through those four questions again, a quick review. The first question was this. We wanted to prayerfully consider, prayerfully ask ourselves, am I walking in his steps or am I just admiring his journey? We ask ourselves whether our relationship with Jesus is just intellectual, if it's just knowledge-based, if we're just sitting on the sidelines content to read and hear about what Jesus has done in the past, and if we're being content to sit on the sidelines and observe what Jesus is doing in the present without actually joining him in the journey. And we ask a second question. We wanted to prayerfully consider this question. Have I had my funeral? We're asking ourselves whether we've actually killed, buried, and left behind our old selves. And we're asking ourselves whether we have killed, buried, and left behind our old selves today, and if we're willing to do that tomorrow. Or are we still clinging to that old self? Are we still resisting letting the old self go? The third question that we asked was, have I had my wedding? We asked ourselves whether we had replaced our old selves with something new. If we'd replaced it with something new by becoming one with Jesus, by joining ourselves with Jesus, by becoming one with his spirit, so that our identity would be brand new, so our identity would be in Jesus Christ. And finally, we ask ourselves, are we covered with the dust of compassion, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and love? We want to know, are we dusty? Do our lives have the markings of Jesus followers? We want to know if our identities reflect the compassionate, humble, gentle, patient, forgiving, and loving life of our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. So as we continue to explore what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, I think it's important that we talk about the cost of following Jesus. Because following in his steps does have a cost. It does come with a price. In our society, the lure of receiving something for nothing is a very strong one. Just look around at what happens whenever the lottery amounts get up to a very large amount and the lure of winning millions for the price of a $1 lottery ticket. There's tremendous excitement. The, the lure of giving, getting something for nothing or for very little. Or read the covers of magazines, especially like the January magazines. What kind of kind of headlines do you see in the magazines? Things like, five minutes to thinner thighs. The lure of something for very little. Or, three easy steps to a better you. The lure of something for very little. Uh, I saw one actually on a magazine this morning and it said, fix your relationship before dinner time. That's pretty good to be able to fix a relationship before dinner time. Um, Or this is maybe my favorite one. Transform your body without diet or exercise. Who doesn't want to sign up for that? The lure of something for nothing. And very few of us are immune to the lure of receiving something for nothing. But most of us understand that there's very little in life of true value that we can have without it costing us something. So let me illustrate with a story. Many of you know that I ride my bicycle to and from work almost every day. 
Um, I do that for multiple reasons. Um, and I do most of that writing on the city's dedicated bike paths. So in case you're worried, I'm safe while I'm out there. The reasons that I ride my bike um, have to do with the benefits that come with riding my bike. One of the benefits that comes with it is health benefits, exercise benefits. Uh, the, the bike doesn't ride itself. I actually have to pedal the bike. Um, so I re receive benefits from riding the bike, health and exercise benefits. Also, there's some financial benefits. I save money on gas. Um, maybe we spend a little bit more on food, but we spend less money on gas because I'm not driving my truck to and from work. There's also the benefit of peace and quiet. It's a very different experience on the bicycle path than it is on the roads. Um, there's peace and quiet. I'm actually able to, to pray and meditate and reflect on things as I'm riding my bicycle to and from work. And then there's definitely stress reduction. Tremendous amount of stress reduction in riding to, and then at some days there's stress reduction that's needed riding home. Um, stress reduction comes about, there aren't traffic jams. There's no road rage. And there's this sense of brotherhood with the other people who are on the bicycle path. Kind of a, a shared uh, commonality that we have, that we're riding together, we're exercising together. Those who are walking, running, um, and cycling. A sense of brotherhood. So it reduces stress. But receiving those benefits doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen because I'd like for it to happen. There is a cost involved. So let me tell you about some of the costs that are involved. There's a time cost that's involved. It does take me longer to ride to and from work than it would to drive my truck. So I have to leave the house earlier and I get home later. So I pay a cost in time. There's also a comfort cost. Some days, especially some afternoons, are really, really hot. And it's not really comfortable to be riding your bike. And this time of year, there's some mornings that are really, really cold. It's not really comfortable to be riding your bike. And some days are really windy. And believe it or not, New Mexico, some days actually have rain. And occasionally there's snow, so there's a comfort cost that comes about. And then there is an effort cost. Like I mentioned before, the bicycle doesn't ride itself. I have to turn the pedals. It requires effort. So Monday morning, I was riding my bike to work. I was coming on a bike path, and I could hear another bike catching up to me, which is really unusual. Not because I never get caught on the bicycle paths. It was really unusual because normally you can't hear bikes as they're approaching, but I could hear this bike approaching, and I could hear it from a long ways away. And it was also unusual because that bicycle sounded just like a lawnmower which is really unusual. A bicycle that sounds like a lawnmower catching up to me. So I kept on pedaling, and the mower sound kept on getting closer. And finally, it came along beside me, and I got a good, close look. And it was a man on a bicycle, and the bicycle looked very much like mine with one exception. It had a small gasoline engine mounted to the bicycle. And that engine was actually providing the power for the bicycle, and I never once saw the man actually turn the pedals. He was just sitting on his bike, allowing it to do the work. And what made it even worse was he was smoking a cigarette <laughs> as he was riding the bicycle. So we're on the bicycle together. We're sharing things together, but we don't have much really in common. You know, I can imagine the sales pitch for that gasoline engine uh, the sales pitch that that guy fell for, it probably went something like this. It said, you know, buy this conversion kit and receive all the benefits of riding a bicycle without any of the effort. But 
there's only one problem with that sales pitch. It isn't true. It simply isn't true. You can't receive all the benefits of riding a bicycle without expending effort, without it costing you something. The other rider wasn't receiving all the benefits. He wasn't getting exercise and health benefits. He wasn't getting peace and quiet because his bicycle was destroying the peace and quiet. And he wasn't part of the brotherhood of bicycle riders and walkers and runners because he himself, I'm sure, was the subject of road rage because he's not supposed to be on that path. There aren't supposed to be any motorized motorized vehicles on the path. Well, what does that have to do with what I'm talking about this morning? Well, I'm, I'm afraid that too often following Jesus has been pitched to potential disciples kind of like that sales pitch for the motorized bicycle. Maybe the pitch sounds something like this. Receive all the benefits of following Jesus without any effort on your part. And there's just one thing wrong with that sales pitch. It simply isn't true either. In fact, Jesus presents a very different picture of what life will be like if we choose to follow him. Jesus left no doubt that following him will interfere with our lives. And following him will cost us something. For followers of Jesus, life will not continue on as before. And they will pay a price for choosing to walk in his steps. And that's the key point that you'll find on your outline this morning. Following Jesus will interfere with your life. And it will cost you something. So with that in mind, let's turn and read our text again for this morning out of Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. Luke 14, 25 through 33. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, He cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Well, Jesus was obviously not very well versed in marketing and advertising principles. I mean, can you imagine the reaction to this pitch? Because basically this is what Jesus is saying. He says, I have some amazing discipleship opportunities available right now for you. And it's for the very low price of every single thing you love. It's not really the way to keep the crowds growing, is it? It isn't really the way to keep the crowds happy. But we need to understand that Jesus was more concerned about the size of the commitment than he was about the size of the crowds. Now, I think we all understand that Jesus wasn't literally 
calling for his followers to hate their families. But he was talking about the fact that following him was likely going to interfere with family relationships. For most of us, choosing to be a Christ follower doesn't require us to turn our back on our families. But for Jesus' Jewish audience, that was the stark reality. For them, choosing to follow Jesus would mean fracturing their existing family relationships. So Jesus is saying, my followers must love me more, much more than their parents. They must love me more, much more than their wives or their husbands. They must love me more, much more than their children or their brothers or their sisters. And then Jesus doesn't stop there. He says that his followers must love him more. They must love him much more than they even love themselves. And then he doesn't stop there. He also says that his followers must love him more, much more than everything they possess. More than any relationship. More than anything they own. More than their hobbies. More than their jobs. More than their free time. Jesus says, you must love me more. See, Jesus wants to make sure that we count, that we consider, that we understand the cost of choosing to be his disciples. Following Jesus will interfere with your life, and it will cost you something. So let me share four important lessons that I think that we can learn about the cost of resolutely following Jesus. The first lesson we learn is that saying yes to Jesus means saying no to yourself. Saying yes to Jesus means saying no to yourself. I don't know about you, but I really like to say yes to myself. You know, Walter, can I do that? Yes, Walter, go right ahead. Walter, can I think that? Yes, Walter, go right ahead. Walter, can I say that? Yes, Walter, go right ahead. Yes, Walter, yes. I like to say yes to myself. But saying yes to Jesus means that I'm putting him in control. I'm allowing him to choose my path. I'm allowing for his desires to become my desires. By saying yes to Jesus, I'll be echoing his words. I'll be echoing his attitude, his example. I'll be saying, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. Instead of continually saying yes to myself, I will continually say yes to Jesus. Well, secondly, we learn that taking Jesus' path means walking away from different paths. Taking Jesus' path means walking away from a different path. You know, there's some things in life that are just physically impossible. One of those things is you can't be in two places at one time. I can't ride my bike on the Bosque Trail and the North Diversion Trail at exactly the same time. I have to choose which path I'm going to take. And if Kevin calls me up one morning and says, Hey, Walter, instead of riding on the North Diversion Trail, why don't you come ride with me on the Bosque Trail? I can say yes to Kevin all I want to, but if I show up and ride on the North Diversion Trail and he's on the Bosque Trail, we're both riding bikes, but we're on different paths. Can't be in the same two different places at the same time. Well, there's some things that are spiritually impossible. And one of these impossible things is walking on my path 
and walking on Jesus' path at the same time. I have to choose one or the other. I can't choose both. That can't be my answer. So Jesus' call isn't to walk his path and our path. And his call isn't for us to allow him to come and walk on our path with us. His call is for us to leave our paths and come and walk on his path with him. Our third lesson that we learn is that Jesus doesn't offer the convenience of selective commitment. Jesus' call isn't to follow him sometimes. It isn't to call him to follow him in some places. It isn't to follow him in some situations. Disciples of Jesus don't have the luxury of picking and choosing when and where and in what situations they will follow their master. See, I have a strong but selective commitment to ride my bike every day. I tell myself I will ride my bike to and from work every day, except Wednesdays, and some Tuesdays when there's elders meetings, and some other days when I think I'll need my truck, and on days when there's snow or ice on the pass, and if it's raining in the morning, or if I think the wind's going to be blowing too hard in the afternoon, or if I'm sick, or if I just don't feel like it, and, and, and it's a, it's a selective commitment that I have. In other words, I'll ride unless it's inconvenient or if it's uncomfortable. But Jesus' call is to follow him at all times, in all places, and in every situation, even if it's inconvenient or uncomfortable. Well, finally, I think that we can learn that Jesus' place in our lives isn't as one of many, nor even as the first of many, but his place is as our one and only. Jesus calls for his disciples to accept him as their one and only. See, choosing to be a disciple of Jesus Christ isn't choosing an additional relationship. It's committing to a relationship that will define all of our other relationships. It's committing to a relationship that will guide all of our other relationships. It's committing to a relationship that brings meaning to all of our other relationships. It's committing to honoring Jesus and bringing glory to his name in all other relationships. And it's committing to treating others in the same way that Jesus has treated us. And committing to do that in all of our relationships. We must understand that Jesus wants us, but he won't share us. Disciples of Jesus won't allow any other relationship to come between them and their Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. Being a disciple of Jesus will interfere with our lives, and it will cost us something. We'll have to say no to ourselves. We'll have to leave paths that we've been following and come and follow Jesus on his path. We'll have to commit to following him even when it's uncomfortable and when it's inconvenient. And we'll have to allow our relationship with him to be the source of our relationship with others. So now, much like last week, I want to present four questions. 
Four questions for us all to prayerfully consider, to meditate on, and to answer in the coming week. These are also questions for personal evaluation and personal reflection. Questions to help us determine where we are currently in our walk with Jesus, our walk as disciples. Because we want to follow him whenever, wherever, and whatever the circumstance. So here are the four questions. And again, I'm going to pose them with no or very little commentary. Four questions to prayerfully consider in the coming week. And those of you who are in small groups, you'll be seeing these questions in your groups as you meet during this week. The first question is this. The first question to prayerfully consider in the coming week is, how has following Jesus interfered with my life? What has it cost me? How has following Jesus interfered with my life? What has it cost me? The second question for us to prayerfully consider this week is, am I walking on paths that lead me away from Jesus? Am I walking on any paths that are leading me away from Jesus? The third question to prayerfully consider this week, are there areas of my life where Jesus isn't welcome? Are there any areas of my life where Jesus isn't welcome? And the fourth question for the coming week, are there things in my life I would not give up for Jesus? Are there things in my life I would not give up for Jesus? And I hope and I pray that you will seriously and prayerfully and honestly consider those questions in the coming week. Let's pray together now, asking God to help us in that process. Then I'll come back for one final thought before we're led in a song. Let's pray together. Father, we acknowledge you as our God. And Father, we acknowledge Jesus as our Lord and Master. And Father, we confess to you that our desire to follow Jesus, to follow in his steps, is not always reflected in the way that we live our lives. And our desire, Father, is for us in our lives to become more and more a reflection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we are asking ourselves some difficult questions, Father, some uncomfortable questions at times, and Father... um, We'll have some answers that are going to, to lead us to, to wonder exactly what we're doing and how we're going to get where we want to be. And Father, we want to ask your help in doing that. We want to ask that you will guide us by your spirit, that you will give us strength, Father, so that as a result of what we do, we'll be drawn closer and closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray this through his name. Amen. So as we continue to explore what it means to be disciples of Jesus Christ, and as we continue to evaluate where we are in our walk with Jesus, and as we work to determine our willingness to follow him whenever and wherever and whatever, I want to make sure that we don't lose sight of who we follow and why it is we follow him. 
And I don't want us to lose sight of who it is we serve and why we serve him. So I want to read Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39 as we close. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who is raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our God loves us. And it's him we will serve. Our God saves us, and it's him we will serve. Jesus loves us, and it's him we will follow. Our Jesus saves us, and it's him we will follow. And my blessing on all of us this morning is this. May we all always be covered in his dust. Let's stand. Let's sing together.